Jose Altuve leads it off for the Astros, and the first pitch of the game is rocketed deep to left field. It sends back Stewart. Still going back at the wall, looking up. See you later! A leadoff home run for Jose Altuve, and the Astros go up one to nothing. One pitch into the game. This. Who does he think he is? George Springer? (laughs) Is another Astros podcast. Camp ready for a 2-2. Antoni drives this one deep to right field. Racing back is Cassianos at the wall. Looking up. See you later. A two-run home run for Tony Kemp. And the Astros go up 3 to nothing. Kemp's sixth home run of the year. Slider has popped pretty well to left field. That's going to send Stewart back. He's on the track. That ball is gone. Tyler White with a two-run homer on two strikes. An 0-2 count. And White connects for the 12th time this season. Last hope for the Tigers. Astros by a run. Stewart holds the bat high as he waits. Now the 0-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out on a slider, and that is the ball game. The Houston Astros make it two in a row in Detroit, defeating the Tigers tonight by a final of 5-4. And the Astros remain three games ahead of Oakland for first place in the AL West. Well, I'm in A.J. Hinch's office before the third game of this series with Detroit. Uh, I want to ask you about catching. And we have a great crowd microphone when we're here in Detroit. It's probably the best we have. And we hear the, the pop and the sound of the fastball getting into the catcher's mitt. Was there a key for you to making, making a pitcher feel a little bit more confident when, <laughs> when that ball hit the, it hit the pocket? And, you know, pitchers love it. Um, I don't know if think you ever probably experienced it because you got to throw over 85 in order to get it to actually pop in the glove. But so I was 10 miles per hour short. You were a little short. But, <laughs> but it, and, you know, when, and the guys that actually had arm strength, you could, you could make that loud noise um, by catching it perfectly. And as the ball moves and, and cuts and sinks, it's a little bit harder. But – um, there is something about that that pop of the glove that pitchers dig it. The the it's a, it's a it's a little bit of an intimidation factor. You get a guy like today, like Garrett Cole, yeah. um, in, a, in a in a in a place that's pretty quiet like right. Comerica right now. You can you can make it loud. Tell me the difference between when you first started catching. I believe you told me it's tenth grade when you started catching to when you get to the major leagues, how to break in a catcher's glove. Yeah, you know, it, you have all sorts of different little styles and, and ways. And, and what I became is a little bit of a, of a, of a glovesman guy. Like, I wanted, to, I wanted to fix the strings. I wanted to change the style. And, and everybody always talks about oil. And yeah. uh, you've heard the microwave stories or shaving cream or different ways to do it. Um, but you get some premium stuff here in the big leagues. Lexo oil was always my favorite. Uh, it kept the it kept the, the the leather intact. You know, I didn't ever wanted it to get too soft. Or I didn't want it to get too flimsy or too heavy. Yeah, heavy like it weighs down the leather. But yeah. um, you know, more times than not, it was it was trying to keep the the, the pro preferred leather taut and keep it tight because that that's how I, I liked my gloves. You always had some backup gloves in the in the dugout. Yeah, I had always two or three that I would work with, and you'd always a bullpen catcher would always have. You know, you'd ask him to keep catching with one to to keep it. Um, you know, a little bit better. But, you know, it's sort of like a personal thing. I never like guys to put their hands in my glove. Right. And so I'd have it. I had one that, that was my gamer. I'd have a backup. And then I'd have one for all the people who were who were fantasy catchers that thought they could come back behind the plate and warm up a pitcher. And the one that said, do not touch. Yeah, the one that said, do not touch. When I, when I had to catch you, there was a there was the big knuckleball glove, right. which was like a big first base glove, basically. And, um, you know, so you kind of weighted my bag down with an extra glove that was sort of useless. <laughs> it was do not touch. It was do not touch, and nobody wanted to touch you anyway, so it was, it was fine.
All right, I want, I want to ask you about uh, a couple of your relief pitchers. Joe Smith is one of them since coming off the DL with that elbow discomfort. Man, he's been money. He has been money, and, and, and he's, he's so under control on the mound, and, he, and he's so cerebral with his approach, and his angle's good. He has no fear whatsoever when he knows his game plan, and um, he's been tough. You know, he's, you know, when you have an angle like that, that from the sidearm, everybody assumes he can't get lefties out. He's right. actually had great success against lefties. Um, he can elevate with that kind of rising fastball. He's got the big sweeping slider. Um, he's got some guts, and, and, he's, and he's got some experience. I mean, this guy has pitched in every scenario possible, so I trust him with the game on the line. You know, when you deviate from the standard like he does, and even for normal side armors, he looks like he makes the ball rise mm-hmm. from time to time. How does he do that? Yeah, it's just a little bit of an optical illusion, I yeah. think. You know, you're just not used to seeing the ball from that angle, and then um, he sort of defies logic of, of the ball going sinking down, and that's been important for him as he's aged. You know, it's 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 always a thing turbo sinker every time he he throws from down underneath, and you get that natural little tail. Well, the hitter picks that up too. So if you can find a way, it's like how do you throw a four seamer and a two seamer from from sidearm or underneath? And he's mastered it, and it's one of the reasons he's been able to pitch, you know, into his thirties and and into into the teen years of, of big league experience. He's asking me about how how to throw a knuckleball. He wants to go till he's fifty. Yeah, I mean, he might. He might. I would I would shoot <laughs> higher and ask like Wakefield or Necro or somebody that had a good knuckleball. That's a good idea. All right, uh, Tony Sip. I mean, it was going to take him a while to garner your trust, I would yeah. imagine. But he has now, hasn't he? He has, and, and, and a lot of it has to do with, with how he's going about it. You know, the, when it's fastballs at 92, 93, that means he's got hand speed. When he has hand speed, his split is that much better. Um, and, and, you know, when he's throwing that split below the zone, he gets some crazy swings. Right. And so, you know, strike throwing is key. His, his arm strength is key. Rarely do I really care that much about arm strength, but, but because of the hand speed and the repertoire that Tony Sip has, um, I like to see it. And, you know, he's been rather unflappable. When he, when he was struggling over the last couple of seasons, he would dance around the strike zone that gets anybody in trouble. Uh, he's got an aggressiveness to him this year that reminds me of 2015. Daniel Norris, you face with the Detroit Tigers mm-hmm. today. He's uh, not throwing as hard from what, from what I understand from, from what he used to be. Uh, what do you see as you guys' main attack? Yeah, the main attack is going to be to get on his fastball and, and try to get him down in the zone. He pitches up quite a bit, some by design, some by just wildness. Okay. And so uh, he does that because he's got a pretty good breaking ball off that. And, and you know, I think he's, he's stuck in between trying to outstuff someone and then also be a, be a good pitcher. And that's kind of tapered down some of his velocity. He's trying to execute pitches a little bit more. Um, he will make a mistake because there's some some sloppiness to the strike zone if, if, if he can't pinpoint control like he, he generally doesn't have. But his stuff will beat you if he gets you if he beats you to two strikes before you get into hitters counts. He's got some wipeout breaking balls to, to, to get you out. So get on that fastball, but make sure it's in the zone. All right, AJ. Good luck today. Thank you, Sparky. Back with more Astro Launch right after this. You want to hear this ridiculous question we got on Twitter, Robert? Sure. The following is a production of Great News. Astros Radio turned my wife into a fan. Steve Sparks, Robert Ford. She doesn't really like baseball. Should I keep her? That is crazy. No, don't keep her. Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. That's ridiculous. Fielding your baseball questions. Dump her. The opinions of Steve Sparks do not reflect the opinions of the Houston Astros Radio Network. The Houston Astros. Doesn't like baseball. That's silly. Radio Network. Welcome back. Robert Ford joined by Dean Dietz. Brought up to the Astros last week and got to make your big league debut on the on the last homestand. First of all, how did you find out that uh, you were going to be a big leaguer and that you were coming to the Astros? The uh, manager in AAA called me in, you know, joked around with me a little bit, and then uh, 
eventually, well, I knew that Hector had gotten hit by line drive, and I figured, you know, there's a possibility, and uh, told me that I was going to join the team in Houston. Were you surprised at all, or like you said, you kind of you kind of had an inkling that it might happen? Uh, yeah, I was hoping that after the playoffs and, and AAA would come up. You know, I, f- I figured it would happen at the at the end of the playoffs, but you know, it was kind of cool to come up a little early and watch the team play. You got added to the 40-man roster uh, after last year, uh, but then got the 80-game suspension to, to start this year. What were some of the things you did during that those 80 games to just stay sharp and, and be ready when your time came? Uh, I just try to keep my head up, you know. Um, everybody, you know, has a little bump in the road here and there, and it's the people that get up and keep moving that, that are successful. So I just try to keep that in mind and keep moving forward. I believe this is your first professional season without a start, and I know you worked out of the bullpen at the last month of last season, I guess it was, uh, at AAA. What's the adjustment been like for you having started all that time and then and then working out of the pen? Uh, it's not that it's not that different. It's just uh, you know at the bullpen I have better you know mentality. You know I would just try to don't have to really worry about the hitters. I just go in there and try to do my thing for as long as I can or as long as they need me. So you know it's 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 nice. I like being able to throw an inning here, take a day, throw another inning, go back to back. So it, I like it. You from Nixon, Missouri. Before your senior year of high school, you, you hurt your elbow, wound up not pitching at all your, your senior year of high school, and then didn't play for a year out of high school, and wound up at a, at a junior college in, in Oklahoma. How did you wind up getting out to, I believe it was Northeastern Oklahoma A&M, after not playing basically for, for a couple of years? Uh, it was, uh, well, some of my teammates that I played in travel ball in high school, they, uh, they went to school there, and they saw that I was thrown again after Tommy John gave me a call told me to come come throw for his coach and that's what happened they ended up offering me right there on the spot and I just signed and that's all she wrote was there ever a point during that time when you weren't pitching that that you thought well maybe baseball isn't going to happen for me maybe maybe I should just move on or did you always have that belief that you were going to pitch again uh when I had Tommy John I when they told me I needed Tommy John I thought about just hanging him up and just going to play football but I figured, you know, I might as well have the surgery and see what happens from it. I can always just try to go play football instead. So you, you had a chance to maybe advance past high school with football? Yeah, I was going to go to uh, D2 somewhere, play with some of my buddies from high school just to pass the time, but I figured I had to give baseball one more chance. When you were at Northeastern Oklahoma, did you have any, any idea teams were looking at you? Did you know that the Astros were interested in you? Uh, not in the in the fall, no. Uh, I wasn't throwing very hard, but in the spring, the more innings I got in, my arms started feeling better, and I started throwing a lot harder, and then some teams started talking to me here and there. So were you, you got drafted in the 11th round. Was that about what you were expecting, or was it was a surprise? Were you following along with the draft? Uh, I was following along. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. That was the first time being in that situation. Obviously, I was hoping I would go higher, but I'm glad I landed where I landed, and it worked out so far. Dean Dietz, Astros Lever, glad you're here, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. The Houston Astros Radio Network. One of the most dominating performances we've ever seen for a Houston Astro. Steve Sparks, Robert Ford. Garrett Cole with a masterpiece. This is the Houston Astros. 
Network.